listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast recorded here in Seoul on Thursday, February 7, 2019. I'm joined by Chad O'Carroll to talk about the just-released January Month in Review produced by NK Pro. But before that, an announcement. Once again, NK News is offering a free year's subscription to one reviewer who reviews our podcast, not only at iTunes, but also at other platforms. And you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. Don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with others so that our listenership will grow. Okay, I'm joined today by Career Risk Group founder and managing director Chad O'Carroll to talk about the latest month in review, a product available only to subscribers of NK Pro, the premium NK News package. Welcome, Chad. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Now, this review just came out yesterday and was put together by you and junior analyst Chloe Chu. As usual, you've outdone yourself with this cornucopia of information and analysis. It's 30 pages long, has seven analytical chapters arranged by theme, plus an executive summary, a wrap-up of notable DPRK state media stories, and a preview of five big stories to watch in the month ahead. So much work. How do you put together a comprehensive digest like this every month? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not particularly easy and it is very time consuming. Um, so we are looking to try and expand staffing soon to, to get more resources behind this. But um, yeah, it's about three days of solid writing. Wow. And uh, Chloe's been working the, the month prior, you know, keeping an eye out on all of these different categories of news, collecting stories, and then we cluster them all together and, and then try and run through them to think about like what the significance is going to be for not just you know government type folks but also business Mm. Uh, what kind of opportunities may arise from things like unicef resuming operations in north korea well it's great if you're a, a vendor that is connected to the un system in northeast asia things like that yeah, that's particularly interesting uh, and and may become more so uh, if we have sanctions relief this year. Right, right, exactly. Now, I guess the question that some might ask is, is there a danger that monthly reviews like this are quickly eclipsed or made out of date by the speed of events? Yeah, I mean, certainly with career stuff, you know, things just do move so quickly. I mean, it was only January 1 when we were writing the last one and already Kim Jong-un's speech was out. You know, things things do move quickly. But I'd say it's helpful for two types of people. One, um, we get feedback from diplomats that have just come back from vacation. That It's a great way for them to um, tune into what's been going on. And the other is not really so much now, but in the future, you know, if you're working as an academic or a researcher and you need to get a like summary of things that have happened throughout the year, this is a really useful way of doing it because um, news archives on Google, uh, often articles get removed and things, some of the detail starts disappearing. So having, having this will be a good reference for people in future. Um, but yeah, it's not for everyone. Um, but that's why I, I suggested we could talk about it today so mm. that a few more people could hear about yeah. um, the kinds of things we've been looking at. Now, given the time restrictions, we're only going to be able to sample a few of the themes that you've gone through in January. Uh, so listeners will have to download the full 30-page PDF to enjoy all of it. And of course, before that, they should become subscribers to NK Pro. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, the recent, well, interestingly, this month began with what, not this month, I should say last month, January, began with one speech by Kim Jong-un and ended with another by U.S. Special Representative for North Korea, Stephen Began. Both were very positive in tone, weren't they? 
Yeah, they were. Um, and I think the positivity is um, something that should be welcomed, of course. Um, but positive in different ways. I mean, if you recall back to January 1, Kim Jong-un was uh, also issuing somewhat of a threat in the sense that he was saying if the US does not become a bit more flexible in its approach, then North Korea may consider alternative options. And it didn't specify what those were. But um, following stories in December coming out of North Korean media, which had for the first time defined um, very clearly how they view denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, which was something that would be made for quite depressing reading for mm. anyone interested in a pragmatic solution. Um, I think that the, the 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 impasse we've had in recent months, frankly, since roughly October, all of these things came together and and um, created some new initiative on the American side to be a bit more flexible and creative, and um, that led to the two level, two periods of working level talks mid January uh, in Sweden and Washington, and then. Uh, begin Stanford speech on December, uh, January 31st that you mentioned. Uh, I, I want to just focus on one major part of Kim Jong-un's speech. This is the renewed uh, focus and emphasis on the economy. And, and this comes together with, uh, uh, as you mentioned in the month in review, a new propaganda emphasis on economic priorities, growing indicators surrounding potential Chinese private sector interest in the DPRK, as well as the apparent end of a sharp spike in the market value of the US dollar. Relevant, uh, relative to the uh, North Korean one. So what major economic sectors were specified in Kim's speech? So um, electrical production capacity was one uh, which has been um, mentioned before, but we also saw coal, metals, chemicals, railway sector, machine tools, agriculture. What was interesting is that the light industrial and consumer goods sector was not mentioned at all during a speech which my colleague peter ward pointed out in some analysis right because it was a um in previous years that was always a uh uh, a special focus because this is it was the light industry and consumer goods that was supposed to raise the living standards of the people right so why do you think it wasn't mentioned well it wasn't mentioned in the speech but then it was very visible in some of those stamps and posters which came Uh out so i wouldn't say it's been forgotten about but um, Peter suggested it may be related to the fact that those actors within that sector are becoming more autonomous and self-sufficient and not needing state backing or direction so much, which could well be possible. Um, we've seen such a huge growth in you know everything from North Korean frosties and um, you know cocoa pops and breakfast really? cereal. Yeah, wow. yeah, we've seen. North Korean branded breakfast cereals, um, you know, all these very South Korean style consumer products emerging with very similar packaging. Have they got flavored toothpaste yet? Yeah, they have. I know, I remember um, Jean Lee, actually, the Mm. former AP journalist. I remember she posted a photo of some carrot flavor toothpaste some time ago. Uh, So, I mean, by all accounts, that sector is definitely more prolific than ever before. Um, So maybe the, the... those who were involved in Kim Jong-un's speech just felt it didn't need as much of a, a push. With all these economic sectors that you've mentioned, um, it, it almost seems like, I mean, none of these could go very far under the current sanctions regime, could they? Right. So it's almost like he's blissfully 
ignoring or, or ignorant of, of sanctions. Just saying, you know, we're going to focus on this, this, and this, and these are going to be gangbuster years in terms of coal, which is specifically banned, right? I mean, uh, is there some sort of humor in that? Yeah, it does raise questions. I mean, it's almost as well like a hark back to the um, sort of 1970s, 1980s style uh, North Korea heavy industrial focus, right? And yeah, that doesn't really add up with what we've been seeing in other parts of North Korean propaganda mm. increasingly vividly during the last um, last few years. So it is it is interesting and it may be worthy of more uh, study and focus, especially further Kim Jong Un speeches. We should also keep track of where he's gonna gonna be visiting. I know right, the honor spot guides. Yeah, he's been those trips have been rather quiet in the mm. last six to eight weeks. Um, so yeah, it will be in, it will be worth watching to see where that goes. The the electricity stuff that's always a priority. Yeah. Um, it seems they're really really keen to improve there. Well, now uh, also speaking of electricity, what? Uh, tell us about the interesting new investment proposal that North Korea put up on one of its official websites. Yeah, so on uh, in January we did a story about this on one of the North Korean sites. There was a uh, uh, basically an investment opportunity published um, with a North Korean organization seeking 43 million euros of investment mm. to renovate and modernize the electric power sector. Um, I don't have more details to hand on that specific one, but I can say we've we've actually noticed a real proliferation of these kind of bids and tenders, mm. and and um, the the thing that was really interesting for me, which um, is not specifically related to the electricity, was one that was posted on a Chinese um, uh, tender, uh, official government tender. Uh, database website which was looking for Chinese investors and um, suppliers who could help build a new highway from Mm. Wonsan to Hamhong Um, so I think when you zoom out and look at this um, from a bigger picture it's very interesting that there's uh, a growth of these self-made notice notifications on North Korean websites but also seeing them emerge on on foreign ones despite all the sanctions is you know it may be an indicator of where they're looking to go which is to try and get mass investment to to support a lot of these infrastructure projects Mm. off the ground if i were to you know to put down my spare 43 million euro cash uh, would i get an equity stake in this north korean power grid that would be uh, you know and and would that be uh, something currently prohibited by uh, united nations security council sanctions there would almost certainly be lots and lots of red tape and in terms of what you get back well i just always think about when mashik ryong the ski resort was being built we got hold of a an investor guide and it was talking about um the projections and the profit share that you'd get and they were estimating five thousand tourists a day mm-hmm. throughout the year which, which is mm. extremely um wishful wishful thing yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, if there if there are, I don't know if they're planning tolls. We've started to see this recently in North Korea toll infrastructure to to uh, claim rents from users of the roads. But you know, the, the 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 low number of cars on North Korean highways, you could be in for a very very long wait to mm. to claw back your investment. 
It would be all the tour buses, I think, that they'd be getting the toll yeah, from, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Kim didn't just talk the economy up in his New Year's speech. He also talked about it with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping during his visit to Beijing, didn't he? Yeah, so when he was in Beijing, he visited a medical factory and um, he did talk about the Chinese economic model being the quote-unquote most valuable model to North Korea. Um, he talked about more ho- his hopes for more trips to China, for studying exchanges. Hmm. Uh, no, hang on, let me just interrupt. You. That's interesting because his father, Kim Jong Il, when he made, he was taking on uh, taken on a, a trip. I think of uh, the, the Guangdong area there in the in the southeast, and sort of shown you know the factory of the world, and said uh, you too can be like this. And I think Kim Jong Il came away very skeptical of the China model. He was never very enthusiastic about it, was he? Yeah, well, when we had the Singapore summit, I was blown away by the front page coverage on Nodong Shinman of, of Singapore. And right, they, doing his walk they, around. they referred to like this kind of success story of Singapore. And, and I remember I decided to compare it with how North Korean media reported on Kim Jong-il's mm. uh, trips to China during the last two, three years of his life. And I specifically looked for... Um, the terminology around the Chinese socialist economy, and it it seemed like it seemed very uh, pass, very minimal tributary language. Right. What, it was, if I remember, you know, Kim Jong Il uh, showed respect for the, the the Chinese economic model. It was very very minimal, and yep. it was very low down in the article. Whereas the Singapore thing, it was front and center, and so yeah, I do find that interesting. Um, I would point out, though, unlike Singapore, this stuff that I'm referring to is also relatively buried. It wasn't, mm. as far as I could see, you know, front massive central focus of North Korean state media after the the visit. So it could just be a slightly more fawning, respectful, mm. um, you know, posture. Um, and that is the type of thing that we've seen Xi Jinping commit to with his promises to go to Pyongyang that only North Korean media ever report on. Right. Um, and he's not, he's still not done that. Now, what's happened to the prices of petrol and rice and the value of the US dollar relative to the North Korean won in the last month? So, yeah, on the on the US dollar thing, um, Daily NK, which is another South Korea-based North Korea news specialist, they... Uh, collect data from a range of sources which showed in December a pretty notable peak in the value, the unofficial value of Korean won to the dollar. It went from about 8,000 to 8,500 won in the three cities they're tracking from. And it comes after a lot of stability in that in, in that ex- precise indicator. Um, so we were we were quite startled by this, and in the last month in review, did did some analysis on it and uh, wondered what might be causing it. But the, what was odd is that our sources in Pyongyang in in January were reporting completely normal rates. Um, so you mean back to the eight thousand one to the dollar mark? Yeah, and in fact, they said they never they never saw a spike. So I, I did speak to Daily NK about it. You know, asked like, why did do we think there is a difference here? And they suggested that their sources collect um, these rates from different markets to the ones our ones do. But you know, it raised questions because we I was talking to um, Peter Ward about it and. Um, Benjamin Silberstein, and we wondered if that's the case, that you could have two dramatically different rates within one city. It presents 
lots of opportunities arbitrage for, right, exactly. right buy here sell there yeah but then eventually of course things would even out wouldn't they if you did enough of it yeah you would think so you would think so um, but what was really odd about the, the data that we've been seeing which is from Tongil market is that Actually, the, the, there's a sign on um, the kiosk where people can change um, their, their cash. Yeah. And if you look at the, the photos I was provided very closely, you can see the handwriting hasn't actually changed at all since at least December. So that suggests a very, very static rate mm. in, in some pockets of the North Korean economy that don't have any um, evidence of even microscopic, microscopic daily changes so yeah that was that was an, an odd one we still don't really know what what happened there um then um yeah we saw a 13 percent reduction on the petroleum price um that's, that's a big drop yeah that's the price paid by the foreigners living in pyongyang um the diplomats the aid workers and so forth um and it, interestingly that came in just after kim jong-un's trip to China mm. and mm. I know Benjamin Silberstein on NK Econ Watch is often I think he recently published some analysis pondering whether the, those visits have something to do with the subsequent drops we see in gas prices right um, and, and just on, on food prices rice stable um, uh, and daily NK speculating that the stability may be due to Chinese imports which could be a breach of sanctions no, food exports aren't um, sanctioned. It's it's food exported from North Korea ah. to the outside world that is prohibited. So take it as a whole, what does all this news about North Korea's economy mean for government and business? Um, I think on the, the business side, the thing to watch for is that um, there's obviously this increase of these prolifer- these tenders and opportunities being posted and while sanctions are obviously going to get in the way of a lot of those for the moment um there is probability that there'll be some actors who will go for those um bids and opportunities uh regardless of the sanctions and start exploring them on the ground at least um which means ipso facto that some of those opportunities could reduce and if you if you care about being involved in the North Korean infrastructure sector, for example, that could be a risk. But I would I would I would ha- hazard to guess that the risks of those said opportunities are far greater than missing out on them uh, for now. The other thing for those in the business sector is just the the growing rapprochement with China. I really feel from both political and, and business perspectives is that the the indicators are lining up for what should be a very busy year of China DPRK cooperation once again. Um, so that, again, means that there'll be more Chinese fingerprints on the limited opportunities that do exist in North Korea. We're probably going to see an, a very, very busy year again for tourism, um, which has all sorts of potential knock-on effects. Um, and most tourism is from China, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it, we've talked about this before, but last year... Uh, it, it really does look like it was possibly one of the busiest years on record for, if not the busiest year on record for Chinese tourism. And, you know, one thing I didn't mention is with the very odd story that cropped up on the Russian embassy of Pyongyang's uh, Facebook page during mm. the last month was that um, they said that they'd been having meetings with their North Korean partners about 
how to manage mass tourism um security ministry meetings about like how to securely manage large influxes of tourists this is the russian the embassy russian. so the north koreans are looking for tips on this from the russians and that makes me think that the the spikes we saw last year from the chinese may have been a bit over the top even for north korea's um uh, abilities to securely safely manage such a large number of guests and that they're now proactively looking into it more suggests that again there's there's a belief that this could be a very very busy year for them uh on the tourism front and that leads to i mean we we have no idea what kind of money that brings the north no. korean government um the chinese pay a different amount to the westerners um but it's presumably going to be a, a rather significant figure I can imagine, though, that uh, just in terms of numbers, it would surely be a, still a blip on the radar compared to the number of foreign tourists who went to Pyongyang in 1989 for that uh, 13th World <laughs> Festival of Youth and Students, uh, for which I still have an open call for people to send in. If anyone out there listening was there in 1989, I'd love to talk to you and to hear your experiences. I'm sure that the North Koreans would have had a, a difficult time keeping all those, um, those young, <clears throat> um, active uh, students uh, under control during the, that period. Yeah, I remember reading a book um, about, uh, and maybe it was a North Korean defector account about life through that period in Pyongyang. And the writer said that when that um, expo summit occurred, people started thinking, wow, the country's really changing and you know, there's a new future ahead. And then like a week or two later and they're all gone. Things obviously went back to normal. Mm. Just for listeners, I know we got, we're sort of swinging away from the main topic at hand, but I really recommend going on YouTube and looking up some of the videos of this 1989 expo. It's, you know, just foreigners en masse roaming around Pyongyang yeah. and um, it's really pretty remarkable stuff. It's the uh, Pyongyang 13th World Festival of Youth and Students or something like that. To compete with the 88 Seoul Olympic Games, right? Right. For which they built that giant Mayday triangular uh, Ryugyong, Stadium, uh, Ryugyong um, Hotel. Yes. Yeah. Now let's uh, talk about the speech that ended the month of January, the Stephen Began speech at Stanford. There's so much to talk about here. Where do you want to begin, Chad? Well, I think um, the speech is important for the fact that it's it's really laid out a roadmap approach for the first time um, since the Trump administration took office. You know, in late 2017, especially early 2018, we were hearing all this talk about uh, the need to very urgently resolve this situation. And I remember just before John Bolton took office during one of his last interviews, mm -hmm with um, Fox, he said something along the lines of, when asked about the purpose of summitry with Kim Jong-un, he said, it's great, so we can ask him uh, which ports to um, dock in next week so as we can load your nuclear program and ship it back to America. Yeah. Obviously, that hasn't happened. And the maximalist position of, all or nothing position of no sanctions relief until full denuclearization very clearly now seems to be shifting. And um, be, uh, Began's speech on January 31st, I think, was a really crystal clear articulation of this. This is after he's, because um, he, he had that trip to Stockholm to meet with some working level yep. North Koreans in, uh, in Sweden, right? And, and also some South Koreans were present. So in, the, so in the wake of that, he makes this big speech and he lays out some very, very specific things, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and we can talk about some of those. Um, I mean, it's it's very... 
you know, it starts out with the preliminary steps, quote unquote, of North Korea actually fulfilling this pledge to destroy the Tongshan Ri missile site. We know that's still pending. It's only kind of been half done. Then there's talk of allowing American experts to, to see the destruction of the Pungay Ri facility, right. which about 30 journalists got to see last year, but that was it. Um, despite previous North Korean pledges to allow foreign experts, um, then it goes on to uh, North Korea's pledge to dismantle, destroy the uh, plutonium and uranium stuff at Yongbyon. Um, and, yeah, and Yongbyon so and beyond, right? Yeah, Yongbyon and beyond. Yeah. Next steps on DPRK plutonium. It goes on and on. One thing, though, it does, uh, we thought it was lacking, is any real mention of what the US might be able to do as corresponding measures to push um, these things along. And, and yet, Began in his remarks, did tacitly concede that there does need to be American corresponding measures. And he says that those have yet to be agreed with the North Korean side. But um, I think it, it was, a, a, a for, for pragmatists, a good speech because it laid out a realization that there, that there does need to be a step-by-step process. This is a pipe dream to imagine to compel North Korea can be compelled to just roll over and give everything up in one go. Well, and in fact, uh, Began did spell out that pipe dream, didn't he? In the uh, in his speech, he said, "I have this perfect outcome moment where the last nuclear weapon leaves North Korea, the sanctions are lifted, the flag goes up in the embassy, and the treaty is signed in the same hour." But he realized in the very next sentence, he realized that that's the ideal world, and you know, uh, practicalities don't always work that way, and it's going to have to be uh, phased and. Um, and that phasing, that's what we don't know about it, is um, uh, will it be sanctions relief? Will there be uh, a halt of spring exercises? Because that'll be coming up very soon. Um, you know, what, what will be the incentivization? I think we're going to start hearing a lot about um, uh, sanctions relief with these kind of snapback mechanisms where mm. there's, there's like a six-month uh, window of relief offered, say, for example, for the case on the industrial complex. And the Security Council would then proactively have to uh, decide to extend that six months later um, with a, you know, a vote of unity, I, I, I would imagine, of some sort um, for it to continue. And that seems to me a, a prudent option. You know, a lot of I've seen a lot of conservative criticism of the idea of sanctions relief. Oh, it can, you know, once you relieve sanctions, they can't ever be put back. Well, they can uh, if you have a snack bag. Exactly. Um, so I think that that would be an interesting area. And it, if, if sanctions relief really is meaningful for North Korea, it could actually compel, you know, ongoing good behavior. Um, so that will, that's one area to watch. And another will be, um, you know, this humanitarian assistance thing. We've seen Began uh, spearhead since December, this kind of new American approach since it only lasted two or three months mm. when in October he, the, the US reevaluated its posture on humanitarian assistance. Right. Began talked about, um, he said uh, specifically um, that they're clearing a backlog of approvals that had accumulated at the United Nations Sanctions Review Committee. So these are aid, aid organizations and you know, relief organizations looking for um, exemptions so they can continue providing aid to North Korea. Yeah, um, so I think look, look for more of that and possibly there might be some US interest in much broader support for uh, humanitarian stuff. Just remember, what the South Koreans currently have about $8 million of aid pledged to the UN system, 
which dates back to late 2017 amidst the maximum pressure period. Mm. And we've heard from sources that in the US that the government there is really quite opposed to South Korea implementing this assistance to the UN system mm. at the moment. Why would that be? That well, be? consider we've recently had uh, South Korea unable to deliver Tamiflu mm. medicine. Um, and uh, my understanding is this is due to some uh, initial logistics concerns um, from the American and UN command side that have since disappeared. But um, the issue remains unresolved because the North Koreans and the South Koreans have yet to agree a date to to allow this delivery to take place. Um, but the point being is there are there is a pretty hard line. Uh, view still, I think, um, among large parts of the American administration regarding inter-Korean activities in general, and and even on on humanitarian, um, because there's the logic. Well, and and this is this is even manifested in public statements by senior officials. Um, why can't North Korea pay for the, the mm. its own humanitarian? You know, that for example. Um, Rolls-Royce that Kim Jong-un recently got, $450,000. South Korea, just some NGOs recently pledged about that amount in rice or humanitarian aid. Aiden Foster Carter pointed this out yesterday. Right. So, you, you know, there is still that question mark about why foreign foreign assistance is needed. But um, What about uh, U.S. troops in Korea? Is, is that, was that mentioned by Beacon at all as a, uh, you know, at as a possible carrot to North Korea, removal of U.S. troops or downgrading of the size of U.S. forces? No, I think that was exclu- actually excluded. It, was, it Began said that those weren't on the table mm-hmm. right now. But it, it, it was a point interesting that he covered because there has been growing uh, concern among some that the Trump administration could be looking to withdraw troops. All or some. All or some, because of the the cost sharing dispute that's been taking place between right. the two militaries of South Korea and the US, and um, because we've got a an election year next year where uh, it would be you know could look be a good cosmetic look for Trump's electorate, um, his constituents rather, to be bringing back troops, showing that South Korea is is not paying enough. Um, but yeah, Began seemed to be saying that that's not something that's on the cards right now. After the visit by uh, Kim Jong-un to Beijing, uh, there was this visit by an artistic troupe to Beijing, wasn't there? There Mm -hmm. uh, uh, And the foreign minister, Ri Su-yong, led this delegation of North Korean artists and uh, musicians. Xi Jinping went to the concert. There were warm words and things. This is a far cry from December 2015 when the Moranbong band suddenly cancelled their concert. And it's a far cry from um, late, even late 2017 when like, we, were, we were witnessing open warfare between the Global Times of China and KCNA of North Korea, the mm. two publications really going at each other for uh, perceived slights in the way that the administrations were handling relations between the two countries. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, Xi Jinping has had a lot of time for North Korea recently. Ri yeah. Su-yong was there in December um, and uh, a foreign ministry delegation there in December. Uh, he's met Kim Jong-un in January and then he's going to a concert 
just two or three weeks later. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a big shift. And we saw South China Morning Post reporting that, um, I found this very interesting, that there could be a Xi Jinping visit to Vietnam mm. at the end of February mm. uh, to meet with Trump. Um, before the Singapore summit, there was a lot of speculation that Xi or, and Moon may come for the day two type of uh, mm-hmm. activities, which could have consequence for peace treaties and so forth. But yeah, interesting. But just going back to the concert, yeah, you, you probably saw those great photos of Kim Jong-un um, in, a photo, in a room with uh, maybe a couple, of dozen, couple dozen uh female performers giving them a sort of briefing about uh, giving his on the spot guidance oh yes um it's uh you know evidence that the north koreans want to show they're they're sending their best yeah now last year uh, the chinese foreign minister wang yi visited in early may uh and li shanju the uh, current chairman of the standing committee for the national people's congress visited in september for the 70th birthday celebration so a sign of this uh stepping up of uh of you know chinese dpk relations you mentioned just before that Xi Jinping has once again accepted an invitation to visit Pyongyang, uh, but this is only covered in, in North Korean media, not in Chinese state media. Do you think you'll, uh, I mean, do you see him actually visiting Pyongyang this year? I think he will. It's just a case of the the circumstances being right. Maybe last September it was a bit unfortunate because the Singapore process had really bogged down uh, there wasn't a great relationship at that time between the US and DPRK. Um, so there may have been some hesitation. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I don't see why it can't happen. Hu Jintao went in 2005, I think, to, to Pyongyang. Um, so there's relatively recent precedents. And um, in terms of dates, you know, we've got April 15th coming up again, the big annual celebration in North Korea. I do wonder uh, whether Russia and Japan feel left out at this point. We heard last year of uh, Kim Jong-un accepting a invitation to visit Russia and meet with Vladimir Putin. Mm. And that that kind of all went quiet. But a Russian journalist did ask... Um, about this in January and and it was said that the visit is still on the cards they're just working out dates and so forth Um, and in in terms of Japan in the last month we also saw Shinzo Abe talking once again about his interest in having a summit Mm -hmm. um, which I find um, with the Japanese um, he said he wants to act resolutely never failing to seize every opportunity to break the shell of mutual distrust to directly face Chairman Kim Jong-un. Does it, I mean, that's an English translation, but it doesn't sound like the most um, warm kind of uh, wording or expression of interest in meeting. Because, you know, he, he wants to look firm to his domestic audience. He wants to be resolute in uh, solving the abduction issue and uh, probably a, a litany of other bilateral problems between two countries. So, And it's funny that this is happening simultaneously with uh, his um, difficulties with South Korea in the month of January, right? These uh, low, um, low-flying aircraft over South Korean naval vessels and uh, arguments about radar painting and um, all sorts yeah. of things. I mean, it's, there's, there's a shell of distrust right there between Japan and South Korea. There's a big one, um, and I do think it's uh, interesting that Japan is, you know, really 
more more and more regularly talking about interest in summits. I think you know they they probably are they are the odd ones out if if um, you look at the bigger picture. The Japanese have been uh, consistent in the last two years of still being very doubtful about this whole process and continuing to release photos of ship-to-ship transfers mm. in North Korean sanctions, breaches, etc. But at the same time, Shinzo Abe in the last couple of months, especially more and more of these statements interested in meeting with Kim. So, you know, we'll see. The thing, the problem for the North Koreans is if, I mean, for Shinzo Abe is if the North Koreans will want a reparation payment discussion for the colonial period, which is still unresolved. Mm. South Korea got this payment. North never did. Um, probably as a condition. And the Japanese, in contrast, want the abduction issue, which for the North Koreans seems to be impossible to resolve at this stage. So where do you start? Mm, I know. Now, um, since we're running out of time, let's talk about the months ahead. What are some of the primary issues that you think will dominate the North Korea news cycle for the month of February? Well, we were already seeing the first one, the Vietnam summit. Yesterday, details were released on that. So that's the first thing. Second thing will be, is Kim Jong-un going to do the party-to-party summit in Hanoi before that? You know, it'd be a bit disrespectful to go to Vietnam and ignore your socialist brother. Um, Then... um, Do you know where the summit will be held yet? No, it's still what are the a options? question mark between Da Nang, the beach coastal resort, and Hanoi. Mm. Um, and we've heard from sources that the North Koreans want Hanoi. The Americans are more inclined for Da Nang. Mm. And I heard last night that the it's actually the Vietnamese that want Da Nang, maybe because it's a more attractive spot to promote. Um, to the international community. I'm just thinking also, is Da Nang maybe an easier place to handle security and logistics? A lot of people have said that. I was in Hanoi in October or November and it it certainly was chaotic. Um, So I can imagine security would be quite hard there. Um, Another thing I think we're going to see in the the month ahead is on the one hand, continued reticence from the US, from um, other parts of the, the P5 on on sanctions pressure mm. new designations of course there's no way they're going to occur in the run up to a summit but interestingly the UN panel of experts um, its annual report on North Korea has now been submitted to the Security Council it's over 300 pages long a long list of sanctions breaches violations and so forth and that's already starting to leak into mm. media so that's kind of uh, going against the grain of, of this um this sort of rapprochement um, and the lack of pressure I think we'll see on the sanctions front Um, but I guess a lot of that's mainly tactical level stuff from the North Korean perspective Um, so it's probably not gonna and it's it's systematic and annual in in um, frequency so it's probably not gonna rock the boat too much Mm. from the North Korean perspective Will South Korea finally get the Tamiflu through to North Korea? You know I'm not I'm I, I have a feeling this one could fall through the cracks because it you know Feb, by the end of February peak influenza season is going to be passed and in some ways you know it, it it's more of a, it's more prudent for the North Koreans to prevent this being uh, delivered. They know that Moon really wants this inter-Korean rapprochement and he needs strong momentum and regular exchange. 
Now, if there's been any kind of um, issue with sanctions compliance that initially prevented this taking place when North South Korea pledged it would take place, mm. there's a good argument for North Korea to, to use that and say to Seoul, look, you know, we don't we don't need it anymore. We don't want this. Um, you guys need to figure out how to deal with sanctions compliance before making these offers in future, um, because this is this is an area that should be exempt. And if we're getting stuck in the weeds of cargo trucks being against sanctions that roll in and roll out back to South Korea, so the, I think it would be a you know tactical. Um, it makes sense for the North Koreans to just play a bit hardball on this. And, Good leverage, yeah, and just say, look, we're, we're not, we're not willing to engage with you, with you until you you sort yourself out a bit and get a bit more clarity on w- when we can move things in and out. And you know, it's interesting because in January we also saw a much lower number of inter-Korean exchanges outside of the core uh, Kaesong liaison office. So. While in December we had loads of military to military stuff, we had uh, all the railroad stuff. Since that railroad um, uh, groundbreaking ceremony, we've seen nothing mm. in terms of um, activation of the project, steps to take it for to take it forward. I think there's one meeting only at the end of January. So. Yeah, and we know North Korea is upset with these sanctions hurdles. So yep. maybe if they decide to put the brakes on some mm. of these things, then it can put more pressure on South Korea to, to find solutions. Now, I have to mention that today, February 7th, is the fifth anniversary of the UN's Committee, Commission of Inquiries report into human rights abuse in North Korea uh, being released publicly. Um, human rights was um, noticeably absent from Stephen Began's speech in Stanford. Uh, he did talk about some humanitarian aid. He didn't. He he said he said something about um, you know uh, we meaning North Korea and the United States. We have different ideas about human rights. Uh, that's pretty much all he said about human rights. D- do we imagine that coming back up? Uh, you know, would it be mentioned in the summit in February, or would it be somewhere else in the media? Well, I think Trump is going to be under some pressure from uh, American North Korea watchers if he cares in any way about that. That cohort or community rather um to to raise human rights and i actually you know there's some people say you can't raise human rights and have diplomacy with north korea i don't see why you can't raise human rights that north korea prioritize and have diplomacy with north korea i.e uh let's let's have robust discussions on rights of education women's rights mm. right to food blah blah you know there's there's a whole pool of human rights that countries like China and North Korea strongly seem to, to back. They just happen to disagree with the West on the, the importance of things like freedom of political thought and access to media, etc. But, you know, you, they, I don't, you know, the US could bake into the, the, the next summit some effort to talk about that kind of low-hanging fruit that North Korea is on the same page and then you see how that discussion goes and go from there. Now, tomorrow, February 8th, is Army Building Day. Do you expect to see a major military parade which we like we had last year? No way. That seems off the cards, <laughs> doesn't it? It does. That would be a surprise. I mean, if they turned up with a big parade tomorrow, that would be a surprise. It would be a huge surprise. Hwasong 15s rolling through Kim Il-sung Square. Right, and those men with the, uh, the radioactive backpacks. <laughs> you know the ones? It, could, it would be one way to mix it up and uh, keep everybody guessing. But yeah, I don't think we'll see that tomorrow. It's just going to be a normal day in Pyongyang. Now, lastly, do you want to leave us with an interesting story that appeared in North Korean state media in January that people might have missed? 
yeah, I and mean, this kind of goes back to the human rights thing. Um, there is a report in the Nolongshinman on January 8th about a newly built welfare facility for the disabled mm. uh, in North Pyongan province. Um, apparently, the new facility will help facilitate implementation of the state's policy towards disabled persons. I mention it because these are the kind of uh, stories that really get overlooked a lot. And, and I, that's one area after the Committee of in- Commission of Inquiry report that North Korea said, OK, we're going to work on this uh, the, the right to the disabled, didn't they? They did, and you, you know, we've we've got fo- we've acquired photos from Pyongyang, even showing um, disabled persons uh, roaming around the streets in those kind of electric buggy things. Mm. And you think to just before the commission of inquiry, there yeah. was all those stereotype stories that um, you know that all all disabled people are banished to the country and right. so forth. But that there seems to be an effort to embrace that area of recommendation and um again no one will really draw attention to those stories unless um uh you know we zoom in and them like this because they they don't get even in the north korean state media they don't get a lot of priority there either but where's this new facility being built northern pyongan yomju gun okay so that that does kind of conform a little bit to the stereotype of uh, handicapped people being um banished to the provinces right i mean that's not that's nowhere near pyongyang that's right. Um, it's nowhere near Pyongyang, um, but I would, and I'm just ga- going to hazard a guess here, I would dare say we could find stories about uh, similar facilities in Pyongyang. Mm. But yeah, it's it's just, you know, an, another interesting uh, indicator that the North does listen when it comes to some of these concerns. And um, uh, for all the, the bashing on human rights, I think they should, you know, it is important that these kind of emerging trends can be encouraged at the same time. Well, thanks again, Chad, for coming in for the uh, the monthly review. Uh, again, as I said, there was so much in this review, we're only barely able to scrape the surface. And I encourage all listeners to get onto NK Pro and download the entire month in review, the 30-page PDF file, uh, print it out and go through it, or have your institution sign up and become a member so you can get it through them. Don't forget, you can listen to all of our shows as well as read full bios and show notes on your website at nknews.org. NK News is the leading repository of North Korean research, news, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. And you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced, as always, by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chad O'Carroll, the man himself, and Christina Lee. And lastly, a reminder that one random reviewer per week will win a free NK News membership, so please review us after listening and you might win. And please do share this with your friends and followers and enemies so that we can get more listeners every week. Thanks again and listen again next time. <laughs>